Welcome to Brainstorium. I'm Anna Tissard, award-winning dream punk and deeply weird fantasy author. And yes, that's me and my fiction that's deeply weird. Explore and imagine with me the most unexpected story ideas using the surrealist word game of Exquisite Corpse. Find out more and join in at anatizard.com. This is a storytelling challenge unlike anything you've tried before. Hello imaginative people, I'm Anna Tizard and this is episode 37 of Brainstorium. In today's show, I'm going to do something a bit different. I say today, but this is not accurate. I always talk about how much I love to use the pause button during the story brainstorms to give me more time to come up with story ideas. But in this episode, which is dedicated purely to the story games, I'm going to use the pause button much more liberally. In fact, I'm recording this introduction after I've done the rest of the show, and I ended up spending a few of my morning writing sessions, which are about, or up to, an hour each, to really take my time to delve into the ideas, pen in hand, after pressing the pause button. So today is a few days packed into one, and the pause button actually became the stop button a few times. I feel like time is one of those things. We always want more, but when do we really give ourselves time to explore our creativity? Everything's always about rushing, pressure, trying to achieve a lot in a short space of time or respond quickly to other people by email or on social media. It's so easy to get into the habit of thinking faster, faster, more, more, but I've got so much more out of these story brainstorms today, today in inverted commas, by slowing down and giving my imagination the time to really go down that rabbit hole. I hope you'll enjoy them too. There are plenty of surprises coming up, all using the word game of Exquisite Corpse. And the second and third rounds work out particularly well. So without further ado, bring forth the Socks of Destiny. That's right. And for those who haven't played before, Exquisite Corpse mixes words and phrases that you send me on my play page at anatizard.com. And it creates a sentence that goes, describing word noun, action, describing word noun. That's right. And for those who haven't played before, Exquisite Corpse mixes words and phrases that you send me on my play page at anatizard.com. And it creates a sentence that goes, describing word noun, action, describing word noun. Your entries go into the Socks of Destiny once I've jotted them down. And there are three Socks of Destiny because there are three word entry types. And our first word today is from Anonymous and it is joyous. Okay, let's 
go into the noun sock and see what we get from there. This is from Robin, the male lady, sunset. Okay, we have a joyous sunset, very happy beginning. And um, our next action word or phrase is from Paul Benfield, made to cross under the moonlight. Ooh, that's a bit different. Okay, let's go for our next describing word, which is from Paul Thomas, twinkling. <laughs> okay, I'm not judging, I'm just pulling words. So our final word for this exquisite corpse is from Paul Benfield again, groundhog. <laughs> We have a twinkling groundhog. Okay, so let's just put the whole sentence together and see what we've got. The joyous sunset made to cross under the moonlight. The twinkling groundhog. Okay, I think I'm gonna use the pause button. There we go. Now let me just let me just paraphrase it because there it's a slightly awkward sentence as it often is with exquisite corpse because of the fixed structure that we have to work with uh, to get our meaning. So I'd say the sunset, which is joyous, forces a twinkling groundhog to cross under the moonlight, or I guess travel at night rather than by day. But why? Something about this makes me think of vampires. It's a few things. It's the sharp front teeth that groundhogs have. It's the having to travel at night. And maybe, for those who are aware, there is a certain famous series of books and films where the vampires have sparkling skin that catches in the light. And that's why they have to avoid strong sunlight. This joyous sunset, what, what's that all about? It makes the groundhog cross under the moonlight. Um, as if to say the groundhog is not welcome in the daytime. But the sunset is joyous, it's happy. Is it actually helping the groundhog in some way? Um, by insisting that it travels at night? Or does joyous indicate an evil laugh? Hmm, now if we're, if we're thinking literally about this, and I feel like that's where my imagination is going with this one, a sunset or any inanimate object may force something to happen by way of circumstances. So we might say, the rain forced us to stay indoors. It didn't really, but we might think of it that way. And what else can we say about groundhogs besides sharp teeth? How can we find a character from this? They're often considered pests in North America because they steal vegetables from people's gardens and from farms. So we might have a thief on our hands. 
If we're thinking literally about a vampire groundhog, <laughs> then this is very quickly becoming a strange middle grade children's story. So let's cast our net a bit wider than that. I'm going to have another pause and have a real think about this. Okay, I'm back and I'm also going to pour some tea because I think it's time. Let's have a look. Should be brewed by now. Okay, so just focusing on the scene itself and not questioning too much about who or what our protagonist is. I'm just going to follow what we do know so far and go with that. She lives in secret. She doesn't usually go out in the day because her skin sparkles strangely. But often she manages to get out around sundown if it's cloudy. Today, tonight, there's a clear sky and the horizon is shot through with orange and flamingo coloured streaks. Our character is, e is eager to get out, to explore. Her stomach's rumbling for those vegetables in the farm across the way, but she's frightened of being seen. She noses out of her hiding place. The sun catches on her glittering cheek. She sniffs twice, carrots ripening. She can almost hear the vegetables growing, pushing their roots under the ground. This actually makes me think of the heightened senses of a vampire. The dots are sort of joining themselves up a little bit. But then again, I'm still confused about who and what she is. But sometimes not knowing is a great way into a story. That's one of my favourite ways, actually. It's interesting to cast doubt on who this person is and what they've become. It's perhaps even more intriguing if this character doesn't really understand what she is. If we begin writing a story not knowing this either, this will really come across in the style and the tone of our writing. It will have that undertone of bafflement, reflecting the feelings of the protagonist and our readers will feel it too. But when doing this, allow for the fact that you will in all likelihood need to go back later once you've got into the full development of the story and, and you've worked out what happens in the end. Um, and the fact that you'll have to change the beginning. I'm always saying that the beginning contains a seed, a promise of the end. So this is an important technical point just to bear in mind. But in a way, allowing yourself to begin with this unanswered question frees you up psychologically to just go ahead and write. You know it's going to be changed later when you know more and when you've worked out what clues to subtly drop in. So it doesn't matter if your first draft is rubbish. My first drafts are often rubbish and I'm perfectly happy with that because it's so important to feel free to explore 
in your first drafts. Now, going back to our character, I'm slightly reluctant to pin this down now because if you want to give this one a go, it is perhaps better to have that freedom of ideas, of not knowing. But looking at what we do know, they're in hiding. They may have changed physically and otherwise recently. They might have vague memories or even clear memories of something that happened to them, which was the catalyst for this change, after which they found their teeth sharpened and their skin twinkled. Perhaps their appetites have changed too. They want raw food. Maybe they can even eat mud or grass. Make it non-obvious to your reader. You, just to hook them. You don't have to go with vampire. Or you could reinvent the vampire, a different kind of vampire. Find other reasons for these strange ideas. The twinkling skin, maybe if they have fur, if you're going to follow through with the Groundhog Association. And the risks or restrictions posed by a sunset. You may even invent a new fantasy creature as you write it. You don't know until you try, because these things often only occur to us once we get ourselves into the zone of writing. Once we've freed ourselves up and we're following that white rabbit. Then, when you finish writing it and editing it, see if you can get it published somewhere and then tell me all about it. I'll give you a shout out so all the other listeners can look it up and have a read. How cool would that be? Right, I think it's time for our second exquisite corpse. But I am just going to have a quick squig, squig, swig of green tea. I think that's the word. Okay. So, the first new word of our second exquisite corpse is this is from anonymous mindless okay let's get our next word this is from elena dennison an online poet Embroiderer, <laughs> the mindless embroiderer. Okay, let's try for an action. This is from Paul Thomas. Was falsely accused about. Hmm, that's an interesting action. Next word is from Paul Benfield, Stark. Ooh, okay. And our final word is from Paul Benfield, River. Okay, so let me just put that together. We have the mindless embroiderer was falsely accused about the Stark river 
Oh gosh, that is weird. Stark River. There's an interesting combination of words. It makes me think of a river in which you can see the truth bared. Something about that word stark. Let me um let me have a look in my dictionary. Because I quite often I do like to look things up in the dictionary sometimes. And the more the more I look at Stark River, the more I doubt myself that I know exactly what Stark means. It's often worth just checking in case there's another meaning that you've overlooked. I have a big hardback dictionary, an Oxford Concise Dictionary, and it says, Adjective, severe or bare in appearance. Two, unpleasantly or sharply clear. Three, complete or sheer. And it gives the example of sheer terror. Number four, naked. And there's a fifth meaning, which is archaic or poetic or literary in uh, in meaning, uh, rigid or incapable of movement, therefore physically strong. Never heard of that one. Um, The origin of the word, and you don't get this on most online dictionaries. This is one of my favourite things about my rather old physical dictionary. Um, The origin of the word is Old English, um, stirk, meaning unyielding or severe, which in turn is of Germanic origin. Okay, so the Stark River could be severe in some way. Unyielding, I like that from the original word. Or it could be unpleasantly clear. Now that's odd because clarity or clearness in water would normally imply it's healthy and clean. Then that third meaning, complete and absolute, What is an absolute river? A river that needs nothing else? A river that is not part of an ecosystem? It's empty of creatures like fish, sticklebacks, tadpoles, or even weeds. Does it even flow into the sea? It's a kind of monster that's pulled away from the rest of nature. And let's let's just go back to the whole exquisite corpse. The mindless embroiderer was falsely accused about the Stark River. Maybe the mindless embroiderer is accused of creating or invoking a monster. But how? By embroidering a, a story about it? It makes me think of the fates, sewing or cutting the threads of people's lives. But then, if this is a fate, how is she mindless? Something happens to her, so a kind of blankness comes over her, or her mind is taken over by something? Perhaps by the monster she's invoked. Under the willow tree, he left her under the willow tree, her eyes empty. How was he to know that her heart was still beating? 
After he stalked away, the rain began. It pattered on the river, the thick snake of water roving past. The branches of the willow swayed over her body. Drops fell on her cheek and on her wrist. The river swelled as if inhaling thick and grey. The woman's eyes popped open. Not the rich brown shade he'd gazed into before strangling her, but a misty grey, liquid but not with tears. She smiled but not with happiness. The river that she'd swam in as a young girl roved and lapped onto the bank. It nestled between her fingers. It drenched her not-quite-dead body. She stood up, a sudden, awkward movement, as if her limbs hardly knew themselves. The river lurched, towering into a peak that stayed there, swaying, a giant hump of water that seemed to regard its friend or its puppet with curiosity. The river would have its revenge. See, I say I don't write horror, but if you're open to really weird ideas, these things can happen where you just brush up against a horror idea. The reality is I'm unlikely to follow through with this story in a strictly horror vein. I just don't want to give myself nightmares or anyone else. But also, I find stories more intriguing when they become more about character and psychology. And by that, I mean, I don't want a story to be too focused on abject terror, stark terror. It doesn't mean I won't write about monsters, but that the monsters need to be surprising and part of a much more complex story to really hold my interest. But hey, Horror is a very popular genre. Just because I don't tend to read it doesn't mean that you can't use this exquisite corpse to write your own horror story if that's what you want to do. It's all about finding your inspiration to express your unique storytelling. Hmm. But looking back at the whole exquisite corpse, I haven't drawn in the embroidery bit yet the mindless embroiderer, but that could be done if it works. I mean, these are springboards for stories, nothing set in stone. In fact, it says the mindless embroiderer was falsely accused about the Stark River. Falsely accused, yes, because this zombie-like woman, nearly dead, but possessed by the river and animated by it, can appear normal to other people. And at some point, someone might accuse her of being a witch who controls and wields some kind of power when it's really the river that controls and wields her. What will she do? What will the river do through her? Perhaps that's up to you if you fancy giving this one a go. But I think it's time for our third and final exquisite corpse of the day. Okay, let's have another route through the Socks of Destiny. Our first word is 
from Martin Horton and it is Sublime. Okay, let's try for our next word. And this is from Robin the Male Lazy. Mother-in-law. <laughs> A sublime mother-in-law. Hmm. These words seem unlikely to go together. Although, I would say my own mother is an amazing person. And so to my husband, Duncan, she is a sublime mother-in-law. So that could work. Let's get the rest of the exquisite corpse before I get carried away. The action word is from Andy. Dematerialized. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Next word is from... Paul Thomas, drowning. Hmm. And a final word is from me. Portal. Ooh, okay. So let's look at the entire exquisite corpse. This is going to be an interesting one. The sublime mother-in-law dematerialized the drowning portal oh my goodness it's part two of the river story the drowning portal that's what the woman becomes let me explain okay i've used the pause button again standing before the towering surge of the river the half-dead woman, let's call her Emma, raises her arms. The water charges down upon her, enveloping her completely, but she does not stumble. A minute passes, two minutes. It is longer than a living person could bear, with the weight of water crushing down on her. Emma's yellow sundress is a mere streak, a flash of memory within the water. Standing there in that swirling tunnel, she is clothed by the water. The river drops away. Emma shakes herself, looks around. Her grey-brown eyes, not as murky as they were a few minutes ago, and now the whites are showing. She turns towards the park exit and begins her shuffling walk. Where to? Back to the pub, of course. The river inside her senses the presence of slime, the one who strangled this old friend and left her for dead. So what happens is this. Emma, what's left of her, confronts her murderer. Only she's possessed by this river. She opens her mouth and it gets wider and wider. It's a whirlpool inside her, a drowning portal just like what the exquisite corpse says. But not satisfied with, ki with killing Emma's killer, the Stark River goes on to kill other men, taking it out on all of mankind. There's a love interest too, maybe a friend from Emma's childhood. Perhaps he's been married before, or is he widowed young? And he's still on very good terms with his mother-in-law um, and still lives nearby. 
after two or three local deaths of men mysteriously found drowned and soaking, soaking wet in places where they're nowhere near water. The river inside Emma calms down a little bit and she seems much more normal. People close to her think she's been a bit down lately, a bit quiet, but suspect nothing more. She has dinner with this love interest, who's a really lovely guy, and all the time we're thinking, be careful, she's a monster. But the ex-mother-in-law, his long-gone wife's mother, is watching and she sees that something is wrong. Who is she really, this mother-in-law? She could be an interesting character to explore if she has some special spiritual practice that makes her tuned in to nature or supernatural goings on. So she recognises the river inside Emma. And when her ex-son-in-law is in danger, she's able to step in and try and stop the monster from drowning him as well. And so, the sublime mother-in-law dematerialised the drowning portal. <laughs> oh, wow. I might have to write that. Would you read it? Drop me a line and let me know what you think. But how scary should I make it? Genuine question. As a non-horror reader, how scary can I make it? Another genuine question. Well, I'm really glad I spent the extra time on these exquisite corpses. Part of me thinks I was just lucky with the word combinations, that they happen to make really good sentences. But it's quite possible that it's because I spent the time. I dug deeper than I usually do and probably reached further into these ideas than I normally would. I think actually writing little glimpses of these scenes with pen to paper helped me really enter the zone of storytelling. So perhaps I'll do another show like this again soon. Another mega pause button session. Please let me know what you think. Drop me a line at anatizard.com. And on the theme of time and giving ourselves time to let our imaginations go on a journey, I hope that you can find some time to explore some story ideas, whether they're from this show, from another episode of Brainstorium, or from somewhere else entirely. See how far into the rabbit hole you can venture when you give yourself permission and the time to do just that. On that note, until next time, go forth and be inspired. I hope you enjoyed today's Brainstorium. You can find out more about Exquisite Corpse and my series, The Book of Exquisite Corpse, at anatizard.com. Subscribe to my e-newsletter and you'll get volume one for free. And while you're there, why not submit a few words to the Socks of Destiny on my play page? You may inspire me or inspire yourself to write a unique new story. See you next time.